Let us pray together. Loving God, we ask that we would step inside this scripture today, that we would step inside your kind of love, that you would remind us, refresh us, and renew us with your word. And that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Since summer is not through with us, I hope you'll forgive me to get a little more casual with you. This is not a theological statement, or maybe it is. <laughs> not that kind of theological statement. Um, so, some of you who received my letter on Friday know that the sermon today, the topic, was chosen by a member of the congregation. Linda Percy won this sermon at an auction last year, and she reminded me this summer that I had not come good on the deal yet. So today, much, with much help from Linda as well as Elisa and Susan, I am attempting to come clean on the deal here. And Linda was able to choose her topic, and her topic was friendship, because she said she could not recall hearing a sermon about friendship, and she was aware of how important friendships have been to her life overall, and especially to her spiritual life. And so some of the sermon is actually written by her, and some of it is from me, and hopefully God is in all of it. I hope you took pleasure in the reading from Scripture just as I did. This beautiful passage, one of the most beautiful in all Scripture, that Paul wrote. Linda actually pointed us to two passages. The first one from Colossians 3 we read as a part of our call to worship. And this second one is from Paul's letter to the churches at Corinth. Now many of you may have heard this read at a wedding. And as I have said before, many of us who are ministers hate to hear this read at weddings. The reason is because it was not intended necessarily for that kind of love romantic relationship. This passage was in fact written for a community in which they were trying to figure out what it means to be church and how to do it, just like we're still figuring it out 2,000 years later. And they had a lot of disagreements among them, which Paul was trying to address in his two lengthy letters to them. Some of them had divisions and attachments to particular teachers about what Christianity should be. There were some lawsuits going on among them. They had questions about sex and sexuality and how it should be practiced based on what they knew as pagan practices. They had questions about how they should eat meals together. They had problems at the communion table that some of the more status, uh, people with more status in the socioeconomic order were given favorable treatment over those who had less status. They were trying to figure out what their spiritual gifts were, were in that congregation, in those congregations. And they had this habit that you now know in Pentecostal churches of speaking in tongues. And so they were trying to figure out what are the spiritual gifts, how do we do that, and they had a lot of disagreement on what they should believe. As you may recall, some of these folks were Jews, some were pagans, some had no particular devotion to anything. And Paul, right before this, 
wrote a passage which we have read many times in worship about being members of one body, that we are all knit together, we all have a part to play, just as the hand, the ear, and the foot all have different roles in the body. And then he wrote this beautiful statement on love. If you were going to take one passage to memorize, to share with your friends, I would encourage you to start with this passage from the Bible. Because it sums up a lot of what I think Jesus tried to teach in his ministry. And I would even say, instead of putting the Ten Commandments up in public places, if we put this up, it would change a lot of the ways we act and deal with one another. And I think it has everything to do with how we conduct our friendships. Now, the love that Paul is speaking of is a divine kind of love, a selfless love. It's called agape. Some of you have heard of agape meals in the Moravian Church and elsewhere. It is the kind of love a parent has for a child or a spouse has for another spouse, particularly in times of trouble. The kind of love that God has for all of us, a love that wants what's best for you. But the Greeks were very sophisticated in how they talked about love, and they also talked about another kind of love called philia, which is brotherly love. We get the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, or philanthropy, love of our fellow men and women. And this is the love that I think Linda is talking about. It's also known as the love of people working for a common interest. And when I think about church, I think that's what we should be about, our common interests that we're working toward and working together. So I asked Linda why she wanted a sermon on friendship, and aside from not remembering hearing one before, she said, I feel that friendship, true friendship, is profound, rare, a blessing, a true spiritual connection or relationship, and you know it when you have it. True, deep friendship is a bond between two people who decide to enter into each other's lives. There is an unspoken bond, or even a covenant, an agreement, an understanding, which, while not as public as the marriage vows people might make, is just as deep. And then she said something which I think is true for a lot of us, that we have the families into which we are born, and then there are the families which we create a family of deep connections, people whom we have known in a previous life, perhaps, Linda feels. There's an equality in the relationship, a fidelity of support that flows between friends. It cannot survive if it becomes parasitic. The Japanese have a word for this. It's kenzoku. That sort of defines friends as a family. I am there when, you need, when needed by you, and you are there when needed by me. There's a deep sense of trust. There's a therapeutic, a healing aspect, one of unconditional support and honest communication. And there's also an aspect, as we heard in the Colossians and the Corinthians, of unconditional forgiveness. I may not like something you did, but I will always be willing to forgive and support you. So I asked Linda to mention some friendships that have meant a lot to her, and she mentioned just a couple of many. One is her friend Carolyn Cox Flanagan, who she became friends with in 1970. 
and they met while working at Boston City Hospital. And when Linda moved out from home, uh, Carolyn suggested that she look at a large complex in Jamaica Plain called Perkins Manor, where she lived at the time. And unknowingly, Linda moved into a studio apartment just below her, third and fourth floor walk-ups. Their friendship deepened over the years, so much so that Linda's mother called Carolyn her other daughter, and Carolyn's dad called Linda the other one. <laughs> Carolyn nursed Linda through the breakup of a 10-year serious relationship. She introduced her to a theater group that became a very big part of her life. She gave the eulogy at Linda's mother's funeral, and Linda gave the eulogy at Carolyn's father's funeral. Carolyn is the person she says she could call at any time when something was too wonderful or too terrible to bear. She had knee surgery in 1976 and was in a full leg cast, and it was 96 degrees that Easter Sunday, and none of them had air conditioning. And so Carolyn came over for lunch. They crossed the street over to Jamaica Pond and ate their lunch. And then Linda says she hobbled back to her apartment and fell asleep. When she woke up, Carolyn had washed her kitchen floor, a Herculean task because working on crutches, she had spilled many things on that floor. <laughs> the two of them figured out very early that life was not always a Hallmark card and that they would need to create their own families of the heart, this Japanese idea of Kenzoku. Carolyn was the first person that Linda called when she discovered she had a sister she had never known about. Linda also mentioned her friend Paul Laurel Priestley. They've been friends for almost 25 years. They both have shared the story of some hard times in childhood and early years, and they truly understand each other. His daughters call her Auntie Linda, and Vina asked Linda to be present at the birth of her newest child, Honora. Paul often demonstrates for Linda the gift of knowing what she needs without ever talking. About five years ago, she had back surgery in a very hot August, and he did something that made her cry. While she was pleasantly on her anesthesia, she woke up dreaming about her addiction, which is Starbucks iced coffee. And suddenly, she felt this presence in the room. And it was a hot and sweaty Paul Priestley with a Starbucks in his hand. He had ridden his bike up the hill to New England Baptist to surprise her. She describes this as just one example of an unconscious connection. And nearly a year ago, Paul and Roberto asked Linda to officiate their wedding ceremony. Linda says that, like many of us, she has many circles of friends, many of them here in this church, in which they stay in close contact. Some grow deeper, and some are ephemeral. But she would use that Japanese word, kenzoku, describe those that are very few and precious. This summer, we had a series on vocation, which Linda gave her own talk. She's a great preacher, uh, so I'm glad to have her in this sermon with me. She said that she thinks of God as the essence of all that was, that is, and is yet to be. And when she feels a friend's arms about her when she's crying, or smiling when they are happy beyond belief. She feels God's presence. When she sits and thinks about what she's thankful for in her life, it's her close friends 
and she says thanks for whoever created them. When she hears her good friend tell her that she can forgive someone for a transgression or point out why someone may have done something that seemed hurtful, she feels God talking to her. When the ghosts from the past peek out of a closet of anxieties, a friend can remind her that those ghosts are no longer there. They were put away a long time ago. And she feels God's comfort in that. In addition to the unspoken covenant, there's an unconditional love in it. You can accept each other in sunshine, in thunderclouds, in flowers, and in weeds, all the good and the bad that come with it. You can and you will have spats and disagreements. You will get past them. The book of Proverbs especially agrees with Linda on this, saying that friends love at all times, that friends will wound us in ways that are trustworthy, meaning friends are willing to give us tough love when we need it, that they are often more loyal than family at times, that they provide mutual edification, that we can teach one another and impart wisdom to one another, and that sometimes we may even sacrifice ourselves for one another. Jesus told his followers as he was about to leave them that I have called you friends, no longer servants, because I have shared with you everything I know that you may go and do it. And I believe that's where friendship takes root in the church, just as Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, that we are about the business of love. And I think of us as a workshop for how to do friendship. The church in Corinth, just as it had its disagreements, any community has its disagreements. Some communities can't agree whether to do baptism as infants or when you decide yourself to be baptized. Some communities can't decide whether children should leave before the sermon or whether they should stay during the whole time. Some of us can't agree on what we should do for coffee hour, whether we should eliminate white sugar and white flour or whether we should open it up or whether we should just give away food altogether. Any community we have, there are going to be disagreements and conflicts. But this kind of love that Paul talks about, these kind of friendships we would develop with people who are like us and who are unlike us, people with whom we see eye to eye and people with whom we don't understand, I believe church is one of the best places to practice that. So as we launch this new year together, I invite us to think about friendship in many ways, to think about how we may work together in friendship, how we may get to know people in the pews or in coffee hour or across the way that we've never spoken to before to find out what we have in common and what we see differently. And finally, I would say that just as Paul wrote, a true friend is patient. A true friend is kind. A true friend is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. A true friend does not insist on her or his own way, not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. A true friend bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A true friendship with the love of God in it never fails. Amen. Amen.